Hello and welcome to the Thriving on Purpose broadcast. My name is Sebastian Richard and I'm glad you could join me tonight. And before I get started with the broadcast, I just want to say if you haven't done so already, make sure you head on to thrivingonpurpose.com and sign up to our weekly newsletter to stay up to date with all of our news, updates, and to get store discounts. This will enable you to follow this ministry despite all the censorship. While you're at it, make sure you check out our unique Kingdom Patriot, Remnant, and Entrepreneurial Merch, Jewelry, and Apparel, which I'm wearing tonight. As you can see, my beautiful cap, Kingdom Patriot, T-shirt, Kingdom Patriot with the beautiful lion. So you might want to check that out. And if you feel led to partner with this ministry or to sow a seed, you can do so on our website by clicking on the Give button. And now, dear friends, I have taken far too much of your time. Let's get on with tonight's broadcast, which is titled, Success is Not Convenient. Success is Not Convenient. And I wish I could be uh, credited with coming up with that amazing catchphrase, but unfortunately, I cannot. Uh, I think it came from motivational speaker uh, Eric Thomas, or perhaps Les Brown, uh, before me. And uh, what reminded me of this wonderful catchphrase was that this week I uh, I had some um, transactions to do and I, I called my financial advisor this week and uh, he was very sick. He was ill with a cold, not COVID, fortunately. <laughs> he had a cold, but he was really under the weather. And he let me know, look, I'm really not feeling good and uh, I'm at home right now. And I said, can you still do it? He says, oh, sure. Yeah. He says, I have my computer here and I can do all that from, from home. I said, are you okay to do it uh, today? Yeah, like, he says, look, he says, I'm going to do it because guess what? He says, success is not convenient. So when he said that, I smiled because uh, I'm, in, I'm into personal growth. He's into personal growth. And uh, we kind of speak the same language, but I really loved it uh, that he said that. And I was like, oh, yeah, I like that. I like that. Success is not convenient. And it kind of lit up stuff in my mind. And the Lord used it to download this week's broadcast, which I'm sharing to you with you right now. So the title is Success is Not Convenient. Four things you need to know about the journey, the success journey. So I'm going to share with you today. Four things you need to know about the success journey. And I really believe, first of all, that it's a change of pace from the other broadcasts I've been doing lately. Uh, I think we all need, uh, as believers, as kingdom expanders, as people who have a purpose and who want to advance the kingdom of God, we all need to aim to succeed. And uh, I'm going to share with you some really, really good nuggets tonight about that. So number one of the four things you need to know about the journey towards success, it will require more than you are willing to give. It will require more than you are willing to give. You see, when we set out to, under, to undertake an assignment given to us by the Lord or anything that is relating to our purpose, we are often not aware of what it will require. So we're not really aware when we get started, when we start out of the actual time it's gonna take, the energy it's gonna take, uh, all the new skills we're gonna need to learn 
all that that, that, that it's going to take, uh, all the new relationships that we're going to need to foster to get to our goal. Uh, we're often not aware of how um, we're going to lose some sleep. I'm not saying because of stress, but I'm saying because of longer hours worked possibly. So you're going to be sleeping less hours and you're going to have to sacrifice on leisure. So I'm not saying we should sacrifice on all the things that pertain to uh, having a, a, a balanced life, you know, with your family and with your friends and all that. But you're going to have to sacrifice on leisure for sure if you transition from, um, you know, regular life to purpose-driven life. Obviously, you're going to enjoy less leisure and you, your leisure is going to, in a way, become the pursuit of your assignment, the pursuit of, of this um, uh, pursuit of purpose. So yes, really, truly, success in any field will require of you more than you are initially willing to give because you won't have an idea of what is going to be required of you. So uh, Eric Thomas, motivational speaker, I mentioned him at the beginning. I think that that uh, success is not convenient might come from him because it sounds like it might. But he's also well known for saying this. He said, some of you love sleep more than you love success. If you want to be successful, you got to be willing to give up sleep. If you go to sleep, you might miss the opportunity to be successful. And it, it might sound a little over uh, ca caffeinated, uh, driven, like uh, super crazy, but it, it he does have a really, really good point. And it's biblical too, because Solomon, King Solomon, who was known for his wisdom, is also known for saying something along those lines. Uh, he, he talked about sleep, uh, about the sluggard and the love of sleep. But he, in Proverbs 13, 4, he also says, the soul of the lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. And the definition of diligence is careful and persistent work or effort. And I like diligence better than hard work. I think diligence implicates, yes, hard work on the one hand, but it also implicates smart work. And I like the definition of the dictionary that says careful and persistent work or effort. So it's when, when something is careful, it's full of care. So it's carefully planned. It's, it's aimed properly. It's not just hard work for the sake of hard work. It's hard and smart work. That's diligence. The second thing that success, uh, that is not convenient about success is it will cost you more than you are willing to pay. It's going to cost you more than you're willing to pay. Another personal growth expert, Brian Tracy, who's now, you know, reaching higher, he's getting higher up in years now, uh, but in his heyday, he was really, really good. And he still is because he still retained his capacity because I've seen a few of his videos lately, although he's much older now. Uh, he was really one of the top speakers, uh, just go back 15, 20 years ago. He said, there is an interesting point about the price of success. It must always be paid in full and in advance. 
Everyone wants to be successful. Everyone wants to be healthy, happy, thin, and rich. But most people are not willing to pay the price. So the price to pay for success must be paid in full and in advance. And that is so well put. Also, John Maxwell, another one uh, whom I, I really uh, appreciate, he said, the dream is free, but the journey isn't. <laughs> so in order to be successful in any field or endeavor, you have to put your money where your mouth is. And that's something that I've noticed that is a little bit tragic. Most people that I meet are not willing to invest much of their hard-earned money in what really, really matters. So they prefer paying for a vacation resort than resorting to pay for an extra skill or knowledge that they need to go higher. So most people, they prefer to pay for restaurants, leisure, sports, uh, going to the movies. They, they prefer paying for anything that's going to entertain them uh, that, or amuse them than to pay for anything that's going to better them. And that's a shame because success really requires us to put money in things that will improve us. You know, most of these uh, Christians that I meet that are not willing to put money forth in, in personal development, in developing themselves, they're going to say stuff like, well, if God really wants me to do this, he's going to provide the finances or provide the means or the money for it. But this is just not true. And it's kind of funny because in my experience, God never gives us a dream or an assignment or a purpose that matches our bank account. You'll notice that. So when God really makes it clear of what your kingdom assignment is, what you're supposed to pursue, it doesn't match your bank account. In other words, you're going to have to develop and work and find the resources to reach those goals. So that never happens. But with faith, God will give you the plan to get the resources to make the purpose, the dream, and the assignment happen, to get to that success point. So where, where you give, where you invest, or where you spend your money is a direct correlation to where success is on your priority list. So if you look at your expenses, Obviously, there's the regular stuff like food and rent or, or, or mortgage, all that stuff that we need that are, that are essentials to life. But after that, and I'm talking to myself too, because there's stuff sometimes that I've invested in that was just not necessary or important. So after that, you have to look, look at where you're spending your money. And it's going to indicate to you how high on your priority list success really is or the success of your endeavor your ambition, your um, your purpose, what you want to attain, your dreams. It's going to show you where it's situated on the scale of importance in your life. So your wallet is a very good indicator of where your heart is. You know, most people are willing to put on a, to put their new TV on a credit card, but very few are willing to put maybe seminars or books or online courses or teaching curriculums on their credit card. So they're more willing to put a new gadget or a new phone or a new TV, but they're not willing to put anything that's going to better or improve them on to get them on their way 
to what they're supposed to accomplish, they're going to say things like, well, I can't afford it. You know, well, if, if that's what you're saying, if, if, if you're saying I can't afford it, guess what? That's a clear indication that you need to start praying about how you can afford it, how you can get to the point where you can afford it. So you need to really start because God gave you that dream. God gave you that mission, that that clear idea. And if he if he gave it to you and you don't have the finances for it just yet, well, guess what? He wants to provide you with a plan to get to having those finances to do the thing that you're called to do. So that's number two. So it's going to cost you more than you think. Number three, it will take longer than you wanted it to take. It will take longer than you wanted it to take. Some of you might be familiar with uh, the movie with Michael Keaton. Um, was it called The Builder? Or The Founder? I'm trying to remember. It's the story of Ray Kroc, uh, the movie of McDonald's, about McDonald's, the restaurant McDonald's. And uh, I'm not saying Ray Kroc was a fantastic individual because you see things in that movie that make you think, well, he was kind of like a crook a little bit. Ray Crook, maybe a little bit more like Ray Crook. <laughs> but still, there's some very valuable lessons about entrepreneurship and about vision in that movie that uh, I really appreciated. But Ray Kroc is known for saying something that's very interesting. There's a quote about uh, the Ray Kroc that I found. He says, I was an overnight success, all right, but it took 30 years. Uh, so he says, I was an overnight, overnight success, all right, but 30 years is a long, long night. So in other words, it's going to take longer than you think it's going to take. And it's the same thing for everybody. Everybody that I've ever heard in an interview who were successful, whether it's Colonel Sanders or anyone else, they all say the same thing. You have a plan and you think it's foolproof and you have a goal of how long it should take. And it's always, it always costs more and it always takes longer than you thought it would. And that's just, for some reason, that's just the way it is, right? And it, it, it takes years to become an overnight success. So success requires a very important quality, and that is perseverance, perseverance. And make no mistake, unless God's favor overtakes you, and that's, a, and that's for another broadcast, and I, and I wish I would uh, talk about it here because it's so important for us believers because there's that factor, that it factor that we possess as believers, as kingdom citizens, God's favor can step in at any moment when we're faithful and overtake us and give us tremendous acceleration. So you need to not lose hope in God's favor. And you need to pray for God's favor when you're pursuing your goal, when you're pursuing success in a, uh, in a venture. Because when God's favor kicks in, man, it creates incredible momentum. It's, it's pretty amazing what it can do. It can... It can cut down a project that was that would have normally taken years into weeks or months. and uh, But that's, like I said, it's for another uh, uh, podcast or broadcast. Because at the root, this is character building. And God will not bring his favor unless your character can handle it or unless 
there's a new level that's going to build your character into something that he wishes. So there's a there's a, a very interesting dynamic where God's favor steps in. And if we look at the Bible, one of the stories that comes to mind, obviously, is the story of Joseph from 17 to 30 years old. That's how long it took him. And so it took a really, really long time. 13 years is a long time to wait for your dream to come to pass. Uh, but Joseph had to wait. He needed maturity. He needed uh, some very hard learning curves, very hard uh, lessons. But when he was ready, boy, was that promotion incredible. Like it was from the pit to the palace. It was so massive. It was so like impressive. So that's what God's favor can do when it manifests. But we need to learn perseverance. And the definition of perseverance is to continue doing something or trying to do something even though it is difficult. To persist in a state, enterprise, or undertaking in spite of counter-influences, opposition, or discouragement. And... If you're aiming for success in any any field, these are things you're going to have to face up to. These are things you're going to have your metal tested time and again. And uh, another one who got his metal tested was the Apostle Paul. And it's interesting because Paul wrote uh, two letters to Timothy that we have in our possession in the Bible. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, he said... I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. But I love the first part there, verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This is an indication, a clear indication of perseverance. Day in, day out, all the time. Keep going. Keep advancing. No matter how hard it is, he finished the race. So it will take longer than you wanted it to take. And I've heard, uh, I remember years ago, I would listen to uh, Jim Rohn, a business philosopher extraordinaire, and um, he said that, if I remember correctly, either it took him four years to get to a place of, of relative success or seven years. I think Les Brown said it took him seven years. And there's there's all these numbers that I see popping up time and again when I hear interviews with successful men and women. Oftentimes, these are going to be the numbers that come back. Four years, seven years. And it's funny because I've heard the same thing about marriage. I've heard the same thing about marriage. Um, when I got married to Elizabeth, uh, someone told Elizabeth uh, she was excited about her marriage. Well, the person wasn't very nice, but kind of said, uh, well, we'll see in four years if you have a good marriage. In other words, to that person, what the, from what they knew, four years was a, uh, a time of testing, first few years of that marriage. Uh, and we know that there's a movie, uh, was it a movie with Marilyn Monroe? I'm, called The Seven Year Itch. Was it seven years? I think it was The Seven Year Itch. Anyway, 
that's a common saying also. So four years and seven years uh, in entrepreneurship, in pursuit of big projects or life purpose or marriage, uh, these are numbers that come back time and again. So I find that quite interesting that these numbers came back. Also in interviews, when I listen to these successful men and women, they would say, oh, it took me four years to get there. It took me seven years to achieve such and such. I thought that was interesting. Number four, and this is the most encouraging uh, one of those, all those things that I'm sharing with you tonight. The journey will pay off more than the destination. The journey will pay off more than the destination. And for point number four, I have a lot of quotes I wanted to share with you guys. One of the those quotes, well, actually, three quotes. It's from an ancient uh, collection of writings. It's called the Colburn, the Colburn. Some people call it the Colburn Bible. It's an interesting set of writings that uh, that I enjoy reading once in a while because there's so much wisdom in it. And it's actually surprising how much wisdom there is in it. And it reminds me of a verse every time I read it because, uh, let me put you in context, the Colburn is a collection of writings of the ancient Egyptians on the one hand. So like if you could compare it to the Bible, the first part of the Colburn is all about ancient writings of Egypt from the days of Moses around. Uh, for, they were mostly written after the 10 plagues, after the Exodus by the sages of Egypt. And the other part of the Colburn is uh, the wisdom of the Celts. So uh, in Europe, in the first, I, I would say maybe the first two or 300 years of, of uh, after, after Christ, in the year two, two or 300. So the wisdom of the Celts, I guess you could say, the ancient uh, Druids, what they would call the Druids. So there's interesting stuff. There's even some words in the Colburn that are uh, words that they uh, they say that, that Jesus said. And so they, there's uh, words attributed to what Jesus might have said and all that. So a collection of interesting stuff in there. Uh, but the point is, the, Colbert, the the verse that it reminds me of, the Colburn, especially the Egyptian parts, I really enjoy the, the, the first part of the Colburn, which is the Egyptian, Egyptian texts, because there's so much wisdom in it. And there's a book, uh, a collection of books in the Colburn that's called Books, the Book of Morals and Precepts. The Book of Morals and Precepts. And we remember that in the Bible, we're told that Moses was trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And I remember reading that over and over again. And I always think every single time I would be like, well, yeah, he was trained in occult arts and the wisdom of the Egyptians. We know what that's like, you know, like I, I would make such a big difference between the wisdom of the Egyptians and the wisdom of the Hebrews. And yet when you read the Colburn, you read the wisdom of the Egyptians uh, it, it's not stuff that they don't talk about, to my knowledge, I didn't read it from cover to cover, but they don't, they don't talk about the Egyptian gods like Ra and Isis and uh, uh, all these Egyptian gods. Um, but they do uh, bring up some very interesting stuff that is reminiscent of, a lot of it is reminiscent of what we see that Moses penned in uh, in the first five books of the Bible, in the Torah. So we know that Moses got his wisdom from God. He received 
the instruction from Yahweh, got the tablets. But there was also his prior education in Egypt that he was carrying within. And a lot, and he was, I think he was wise enough to not throw the baby out with the bathwater. So what was good, he kept with him. And you can see some um, similitudes between what's written in our Bible and what is was, was written in the Colburn. And some interesting parallels can be woven between the two. So I'm going on and on. Uh, you might want to check that out. You can find the Colburn. I think you can find uh, free versions online if you want to check it out. The Book of Morals and Precepts in the Colburn is very, very interesting. It, it kind of rem reminds me of Ecclesiasticus or the writings of uh, Ben Sira or Ben Jesus. Anyway, in the um, Deut Deuterocanonical books, the Apocrypha. So here's a few things that I jotted down pertaining to the journey will pay off more than the destination. So in the book of morals and precepts, it is said, it is not what a man does that makes him great, but what he strives to achieve. Hmm. And that's interesting. And I always believe that. It is not what a man does that makes him great, but what he strives to achieve. Here's another passage from the book of Morals and Precepts. The greatest men have no memorial if their endeavors were unpopular or not crowned with success. For every great man with a memorial, there are a thousand unknown and unhonored. Wow. I like that. So they're saying that for every great man you see with memorials and, and um, that, is, uh, that is commended for what they've done, that is honored for what they've done, there are a thousand, a thousand. And I think that's probably about right. I mean, what we see on YouTube, right, when we see successful people giving interviews on YouTube or giving their... Uh, two cents, their wisdom, you know, whether it's a popular ministry or popular motivational speaker or popular entrepreneur, no matter who it is who's having success. It's interesting to think that for every one of those, there's a thousand who gave probably as much time, effort, invested money, and who didn't achieve, who didn't get the the breaks that brought them to that particular status. It's interesting to think about that possibility. Another quote from the Colburn. Success is not the crown of leadership, for the law decrees that failure may crown the greatest effort. Failure may crown the greatest effort. And that's true. That's true. Mark Twain, another good quote here by Mark Twain. Success is a journey, not a destination. It requires constant effort, vigilance, and re-evaluation. Boy, do I like that last part. So obviously success is a journey, right? That's what this broadcast is all about. It's a journey. And the journey is worth more than the destination. Always remember that. But I like what Twain says here. It requires constant effort, vigilance. I spoke about that. But re-evaluation. Oh, 
point. And that's where many fail. That is where so many fail. Many people have the effort and vigilance down pat. They do that. They grind, they grind. But they don't stop when it's not working. They don't stop to look at what they're doing to reevaluate. Is what I'm doing worth it? Is it working? Am I still aligned with what God is asking me to do? One of my mentors once said this. He said, you know what you need to do when a plan that you carefully planned does not work? You take that plan, you bring it to the backyard. You shoot it in the head and you bury it. That's what you do with a plan that doesn't work. And when that plan is dead, you sit at your desk and you write up a new plan. <laughs> so you need to be willing and able to reevaluate when things are requiring adjustments. Another great quote the, uh, that's anonymous this time. I didn't find who said it, but it's really good. The difference between a master and a beginner is that the master has failed more times than the beginner has even tried. And uh, we're going to talk about failure today. We're, we're going to talk because is there, we need to reframe our minds when it comes to failure. I don't like the word failure. I, I personally, I really like uh, the saying coined, I think it was coined by John Maxwell, but I'm not sure. Um, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. We're used to the other saying, right? I, I grew up with the saying, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Okay, it's one or one or. But uh, it's true that you learn a lot when you lose. You learn a lot when you fail, if you're willing to evaluate, if you're willing to re-evaluate, to look at what you've done and find what didn't work, what should I change? You know, if you are relentless in your success journey, like I mentioned earlier, the, uh, the journey will pay off more than the destination. So if you are relentless in your success journey, here's what you're going to gain. You're going to gain wisdom. You're going to gain faith, more faith. You're going to gain experience. You're going to gain seasoning, seasoning, passing through different seasons of adversity, of successes, of all kinds of things, makes you seasoned. You're going to gain new skills because it, it will you you will be required to learn them. So you're going to get, gain new skills. You're going to gain a deeper character, more character. You're going to gain knowledge. You're going to gain self-respect. That is huge. Very underrated self-respect. You're going to gain some new relationships. You're also going to lose relationships. And you're going to gain, very possibly, very possibly, success, I hope, for you. But uh, as I'm saying this, I want to share a clip with you guys about success and failure. And it's a Nike commercial that was aired a few years back because we know Michael Jordan has been retired for a while now. But I think this commercial really epitomizes what I'm trying to teach tonight, at least in part. 
So pay attention to this pretty amazing Nike commercial with Michael Jordan. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. And that's the price that most are not willing to pay. And I hope it's a price that you're willing to pay. I hope that especially when God plants a seed in our heart, in our minds of who we are and what we're supposed to be doing, you need to get started. You need to get started. I like the saying, uh, bumper sticker. I don't remember. I think it was a bumper sticker. You decide one day or day one. So when God gives you that seed, what God implants that dream, that desire, that kingdom purpose in your mind, heart, and soul, you have to make a decision. Are you going to just push it away all the time? Say one day, one day. Or are you going to Get up one morning and say, okay, day one. It's day one. So I spoke of Jim Rohn earlier. And uh, in my book, Thrive on Purpose, my little book, my first little book, Thrive on Purpose, um, I quoted this, what I'm going to share with you guys, uh, in the definition of success that I use in the book. And I really like what Jim Rohn shared because I find that he really nailed it. He said, here's my definition of success. He says, if a guy says, hey, I'm soon cashing it in and I'm heading for the mountains. I'm going to live in a little cabin, live off the land and feed the squirrels. If he goes and does that, guess what? He's a smashing success. Why is that? He's a smashing success because he's doing what he designed to do and he pulled it off. So you can't say, no, no, that's not successful. You can't say that. That is the epitome of success. Giving a design to your life and pulling it off to make progress in the direction that satisfies you. And it's funny because when you reread this little bit of wisdom from Jim Rohn today. It's kind of funny because with everything going on in society, I, I, I see more and more people on my Facebook timeline and friends of mine and all that who are uh, very, very awake, who, who understand what's going on, who's, who, who want to do just that. They want to cash it in, <laughs> go live in the mountains, live off the land and <laughs> feed the squirrels. So it's kind of funny to me to read that today. So basically, I, I, what I wrote following this in the book, Thrive on Purpose, little uh, Kindle book, basically success is to set goals and to persistently advance towards them and attain them. We don't all set the same goals. Some individuals are more gifted than others in certain areas and will naturally 
set higher goals for themselves. The way I see it, the man who sets a goal to earn $20,000 more than his usual salary by the end of the year and gets it done is more successful than the one who aimed for a $100,000 increase but only ends up with $50,000 more. Don't take into account the $30,000 gap between the two men. The difference is that one attained his goal and the other didn't, period. One was successful, the other wasn't. It all has to do with the goals you set and if you attain them or not. So it's all about setting goals, following the path that is set before us, knowing, finding your purpose. And by the way, just a little parenthesis, I'm still working on that series, uh, uh, Purpose, Lord, What is My Purpose? The first two episodes of that series are available on YouTube for free. You can find those two episodes. They're really, really good. But it's going to be a four or five episode series. And the rest of the series, the whole series, the total series, will be for sale on thrivingonpurpose.com. And I will make an announcement and I will send out the email when the series is complete. But it's going to be a masterpiece. It's going to be really, really thorough. And I'm really, really going to go through all the layers, all the possible layers that, that I know about finding your purpose really finding it, finding that special call on your life. But the, if we take the apostles, for example, what was their definition of success? Well, the Lord Jesus had took them under his wing for about three years, and he taught them in no uncertain terms that they were to preach the gospel of the kingdom all over as far as they possibly could take it and baptize and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So they had to take the gospel of the kingdom to the ends of the earth as far as they possibly could. So for an apostle, the definition of success was to spread the gospel of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. It was all about the great commission for them. They knew for them, their purpose, their call was to be, they were envoys. And the word apostle means sent forth, means people who are sent forth. That's an apostle. So for them, it was to be sent forth and bring the good news of the gospel of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. So that to them, if they were able to do that, they were successful. But if we look at what it cost them, because we, we spoke a lot about cost today. I'm going to share with you how each of the apostles died. Because it's a sobering reminder, especially in the day and age we live in. Uh, if you live in North America, you've probably perceived or been told all kinds of stories about success. And I'm not saying they're bad. There's a lot of those stories that are very inspirational, uh, that are very encouraging, that we need to, to hear because they motivate us in the right direction. But our version of success is not always God's version of success. See, the apostles, I'm sure, most of them got a great big crown once they, came, they got to heaven. They were very successful in doing what they were called to do. 
But if we look at the price they paid, it's another story. Matthew suffered martyrdom in Ethiopia. He was killed by a sword wound. Not the way I would want to go. Mark. Mark was not an apostle, but he was uh, working very closely with them. Died in Alexandria, Egypt, after being dragged by horses through the streets until he was dead. Luke, another one who was following the apostles, who was not part of the twelve, he was hanged in Greece as a result of his tremendous preaching to the lost. John faced martyrdom when he was boiled in a huge basin of boiling oil during a wave of persecution in Rome. However, he was miraculously delivered from death. John was then sentenced, sentenced to the mines on the prison island of Patmos. He wrote his prophetic book that we know of, Revelation, right? Uh, the Apostle John was later freed and returned to serve as Bishop of Edessa, in modern Turkey. I hope I pronounced that right. Edisa, Edisa. He died as an old man, the only apostle, the only one to die peacefully. But he did have turmoil. He did, he did have persecution nonetheless. Peter, we know the story. Most of you do know that. He was crucified upside down on an X-shaped cross. According to church tradition, it was because he told his tormentors that he felt unworthy to die in the same way that Jesus Christ had died. Wow. When, when I read that, when I read how Peter ended, and we read the Gospels, and we know Peter was exuberant. He, cold, hot, cold, hot. I mean, this guy was emotionally very, very intense. He seemed to lack maturity. But man, when you read how he died... There was a work done in that man that is incredible, incredible maturity to get to that point in life where you accept or decide to die that way. James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, was thrown over a hundred feet down from the southeast pinnacle of the temple when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. When they discovered that he survived the fall, his enemies beat James to death with a club. This was apparently the same pinnacle where Satan had taken Jesus during the temptation. James, the son of Zebedee, brother of John, was a fisherman by trade when uh, uh, Jesus called him to a lifetime of ministry. As a strong leader of the church, James was beheaded at Jerusalem. The Roman officer who guarded James watched amazed as James defended his faith at his trial. Later, the officer walked beside James to the place of execution. Overcome by conviction, he declared his new faith to the judge, and he knelt beside James to accept beheading as a Christian. Wow. Wow. That's amazing, right? I mean, that is amazing. Faithful to the end. Like Paul said, I have run the race. I have kept the faith. Faithful to the end. And look at the fruit it bore, right? And who knows, like, who knows who else witnessed this and was transformed and changed. 
Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, he was a missionary to Asia. He witnessed for our Lord in present day what is called Turkey today. Bartholomew was martyred for his preaching in Armenia, where he was flayed to death by a whip. We know, um, we've seen, if you've seen the Passion of the Christ, and we know what kinds of whips they used back then. To be put to death with a whip, that must have been very, very excruciatingly painful. Andrew. Um, Andrew, he was the brother of the Apostle Peter. He was crucified on an X-shaped cross in Patras, Greece. After being whipped severely by seven soldiers, they tied his body to the cross with cords to prolong his agony. His followers reported that when he was led towards the cross, Andrew saluted it in these words, I have long desired and expected this happy hour. The cross has been consecrated by the body of Christ hanging on it. He continued to preach to his tormentors for two days until he expired. Thomas, Thomas, the one we like to mock as doubting Thomas, and I say mock, and, and we know he doubted, right? We know he doubted. But we've all been in doubt. I mean, I've been in doubt in my life. I'm sure most of you have had some, at some point or another, doubted. Well, let me say to you, he finished no doubt. He finished the race. He was stabbed with a spear in India during one of his missionary trips to establish the church in the subcontinent of India of Asia. So that's how he died. Jude, he was killed with arrows when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. Matthias, the, he was the apostle in Acts who was chosen to replace the traitor Judas. Matthias, uh, he also suffered uh, by being put to death, he was stoned and then beheaded. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, he was tortured and then beheaded by the evil Emperor Nero at Rome in 67 after uh, in AD. Paul endured, endured a lengthy imprisonment, which allowed him to write his many epistles to the churches he had formed throughout the Roman Empire. These letters, which taught many, of the foundational doctrines of Christianity form a large portion of the New Testament. Now, if we were to ask what God thinks of these men, were they successful? Now, the world would say, wow, what an epic fail. Like, they look at how they ended. But I'm sure that in their minds, they didn't feel like failures. They felt like they finished the race. They did their course. And I'm not saying that's, that should be uh, your mindset to be willing. How can I be? We're not all called to be martyrs. Okay. We're not all called to be martyrs. But for those who are called to be martyrs, success is to be a martyr, to finish the race that way. For those who are called to be entrepreneurs and teach others to be entrepreneurs. Guess what? Success is to be entrepreneurs and teach others to be entrepreneurs. For those who are called to be great teachers, whether teachers of the Bible or teachers in schools or 
if you become a great teacher in the lane that God has assigned to you, guess what? You're a smashing success. For those of us who are called to be authors, if you are pursuing this with all your might and trying to develop yourself and learn and become that author and get those books out, guess what? You're a smashing success. For those who are called to be mothers, for those women out there who feel like their call and purpose to be mothers and to nurture these children and to teach them in the, in, in the admonition of the Lord and to make them into powerful witnesses for Jesus. If you do that, guess what? You're a smashing success. For everything that the Lord calls us to do, if we do it with all of our heart, guess what? We're successes. Now, Jesus's definition of success is in Matthew chapter, well, it's, it's pretty much all over the New Testament, but I identified some verses that I wanted to share with you guys tonight. In Matthew ch chapter 16, verses 24 to 27, we read this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, my disciple, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have said? No. Wait, wait. According to what they have believed. No, that's not what it says here. Wait. According to what they have done. According to what I will have done. According to what you will have done. And in Matthew 25, 21, we, it, 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 this passage, Matthew 25, 21, is connected to the parable of the talents or the bags of gold. And we know the parable, right? Those who the master was leaving, he entrusted his three of his servants with his wealth. And those who went and made it grow, who did something with it, he commended. And the one who was afraid and lazy, who went and hid it, he reprimanded severely. Well, in Matthew 25, 21, when he sees the servant who has fructified his wealth and did something with it and worked hard and was diligent, the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That, according to Jesus, is success. That is success. So when Jesus says, if you're going to be my, your, my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You must give your life, basically, to following my instructions. Do that. And at the end, I will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Translation, congratulations on your success. <laughs> That's a translation. That's the kind of success 
that if you're a follower of Christ, you want to hear those words someday. But to hear those words, there's a lot of work to be done. I know I have a lot of work. I know, I know I've got my work cut out for me. I'm sure you know, at least in, in part, I hope, the assignment that is before you. And you know you have your work cut out for you. And we all have our work cut out for us if we want to hear those words. So as I'm getting closer to the end of this broadcast, the big question is, what is your definition of success? We've looked at Jim Rohn's definition of success. We've looked at the apostles' definition of success because their calling was very particular. I, I need to emphasize that. It's not for everybody, <laughs> okay? Thank, thank goodness for that. But they were successful. So depending on the specifics of what God has called you to do, your definition of success will vary. You know, God wants you to succeed in your calling. He really does. God doesn't want us to be failures. He wants us to be successful. He wants you to succeed in the kingdom assignment that he sent you here for. It's all over the word of God. God is not, God does not have a culture of, of losing. You know, sometimes we look at sports teams. I'm a big hockey fan. And, and right now, the Montreal Canadiens, and they're not my team. My team is the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, so I'm a fan of the Colorado Avalanche. But the Montreal Canadiens are suffering greatly this season. They're not having a good season. Guess what? In the newspapers, in the media, everybody's saying the culture of the team is not good. Well, guess what happens when you don't have a good culture? You lose. Everybody loses in a poor culture. And the culture of the kingdom of God is a rich culture. It's a culture of success. And I know it's it's a word that many Christians, unfortunately, are a little allergic to because they think success is worldly. No, success is a good thing. God is all about success. God, God is not a God. God, guess what? Since the beginning of time, God has never lost, ever. Think about that. God has never once lost anywhere, ever. So he's, he's big time into winning. In Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, we read this book of the law. He's talking to Joshua at the beginning of his uh, taking over the mantle of Moses to lead the people of Israel. This book of the law, he says to him, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. And what does he say after that? For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Another passage, uh, Genesis 39.2, talks about Joseph uh, in Potiphar's household. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he became a successful man. Oh, well, look at that. When the Lord is with us, we become successful. 
because the two go together because God loves it when his servants become successful because he likes to win. Okay? So if you have teammates and when you become when you're when you're in the kingdom of God, you're God's teammate. You you're on his team. You're batting for him. He wants you to bat a thousand. You know how it works? A thousand? Yeah. So that's what he wants. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8 through 11. Paul wrote this and he said, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, so they have been generous. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will, and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your, gen your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. What a wonderful passage. So always keep in mind that God is not, God is not into failure. God can use failure to teach us great lessons. Now, now this is very important to, to, to differentiate. God is not into failure, but he can use failure to make us even better, to, to bring us to more victories, because that's what he ultimately wants. So God is a winner. He doesn't lose. Not ever. And if we're his children, we must think like winners. We must develop a culture of success, a culture of I, either I win or I learn. That's it. I never lose. I win or I learn. There is no, there are no losers in the kingdom of God. No losers. You win or you learn, but aim to win. Always aim to win. But if you don't win, learn. So what about you? As we reach the end of this broadcast, we looked at the, the price, time-wise, sacrifice-wise, money-wise, that we need to pay for success. What price are you willing to pay for success how much effort how much time how much of your hard-earned money are you willing to put in to do what you're called to do remember the title of this broadcast success is not convenient ever in any field no matter what god has called you to do success is not convenient. So as we reach the end of this broadcast, I hope that this broadcast has blessed you. If it has, make sure you share it with as many people as possible. I hope you have a successful day. I hope you have a successful week. And as we approach 2022, I hope you have a highly successful year. But we went through all these 
learning nuggets today showing us what true success is. And there's going to be times where you're going to need to pause and reflect and readjust. And that's fine. That's perfectly fine. There's going to be times when you're going to fail. Your plan didn't work. Take it to the backyard. Shoot it in the head. Write another plan. You're going to need to do all that. But I really hope that you keep the faith, uh, finish the race, and that you do what you're called to do. Fight the good fight. So as we reach the end of this broadcast, like I said, share it with as many people as you uh, as you feel uh, need to hear this message. And um, I will see you next week. God bless you all.